Cross it in, looking for Garza, backside and in for the first goal in Atlanta United history from Yamil Assad. Take a look at history. Hi, y'all, and welcome to Five Stripe Final, the world's only highly distributed audio discussion discussing all things Atlanta United, as you knew. What you also probably know at this point is that Sam is unfortunately not with us today. I'm going to be flying solo here. It's your pal, Joe, going solo, but I'm not really going to be solo. I feel like you guys are all here with me because I have a long list of questions that you guys have sent in, which is tremendous. I think I think it kind of struck at the perfect time. I'm recording this kind of during some of the uh, playoff game, the NFL playoff games on Sunday. So I think everybody's firmly attached to their social media during these games. And uh, fortunately, a lot of you guys were around to submit some questions. So I can't wait to get into some of those with you guys later on the show. But before we get into it, I just wanted to let you guys know again, this uh, show is sponsored by Lucid FC, brought to you by Lucid FC this year. Really fun partner to work with. I've been able to meet the two guys that run the company. It's a clothing company. Lucid FC, of course, stands for footwear and clothing. And I was able to go meet them. They have a shop on a Buckhead. They don't really sell anything from there, but they kind of work out of there. And uh, really good guys. It's a really cool clothing brand i gotta be honest i'm not a fashionable person at all but it's kind of a cool like british american design clothes i would say uh they've got everything from pants outerwear hats shirts hoodies hats are especially important for me if you guys know me you know i love a love a good hat and so i would encourage you guys to go check them out they've got uh stuff i'm sure that our listeners would like it's stuff that honestly you would wear you would you would be cool wearing it to a game and you'd probably be cool wearing it out like to somewhere else <laughs> like to a to the movies or i don't know do people even go to movies anymore that's another question for another day anyway check out lucid fc you can find them online at lucidfc.us or lucidfc.co.uk and uh, let me know what you think of them uh, let me know you, let me know what you think of the stuff and hopefully i think we're going to be running some uh, giveaways here in the in the future once the season gets going um hopefully we can give away some hats and stuff like that so that's all going to be fun and uh happy for them to be with us but well, the real reason that we're all here is to is to listen to me talk, right? Oh God! All right, yeah, we are going to answer some questions though, so let's get right into them. Chris Jones, Chris Jones, by the way, gotta say, I love you, man. You're a real one. He's been with Dirty South Soccer in the comments for a long time at the Dirty South Soccer community. I know a lot of you guys have, but uh, I don't know why Chris Jones' name just sticks out. If you're an, if you're a Dirty South uh, soccer commenter you may have been aggravated once or twice by chris because he has some strong opinions in the comment section i'm reading you chris all right he says uh three or four in the back did they sign john and his remy walter for real you really think that you're going to get three a three for one there three questions and one response all right well i'll i'll answer him um three or four in the back i mean this is going to be a boring answer but it's going to be both i would almost assuredly think it's going to be both you're going to see both uh i actually thought was under the impression kind of before we were able to talk to frank DeBoer and you know a lot of the players this week that they would go to a four in the back mainly and play a little bit less three uh than what they were doing in the latter half of last season but i don't know why just talking to some of the players and 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 frank DeBoer, i just feel like they're going to actually kind of stick with a lot of what they were doing down the stretch of last season, which I guess you can't really 
knock that. I mean, it, it worked. So um, you can't hate on that too much if that's not what you wanted to see. But I, I think we're going to see both. I mean, you look at a guy like Fernando Meza next to Miles Robinson, you could totally see that being a pair, a pairing, uh, a, a center back pairing in a back four with uh, Franco Escobar at right back, of course. But then I think a, a reason you went out and got a guy like Brooks Lennon is so that you can go to a three at the back and be pretty comfortable having either Lennon or Gressel being able to play in that spot along, you know, and then obviously, of course, uh, Franco would be as a center back in that situation. So I think we'll see both. That, that's the the long way to say we'll see both. Uh, did they sign John? They have not yet signed Adam John. I am under the impression that he is imminent to be signed, but wait and see on that, I guess. Um, and I might as well just kind of give you my opinion on that since it seems like it. I, I expect it to happen. Um, which is it's fine. It, he's a he's a you know some of some of the signings you make in this league you just have to you they they can't all be flashy right. Sometimes they just got to be a you know he he's useful but he's just not it's not like an exciting signing to make. But I do like what he would theoretically offer the team, which is a target man up top gives a gives the team a little bit something different to Joseph or Tito. You know, when we talk about a backup striker, it seems to me like Tito is going to be that guy. If Joseph can't go for whatever reason, if he were to be hurt and he couldn't play, I think you will see Tito play that role occasionally this year. He didn't just do it a lot last year because Tito himself was hurt so much. But I think you will see that. But I mean, you know, I think John, uh, Adam John gives you a lot of what you got from Brandon Vasquez last year, to be perfectly honest, in terms of that target man guy. I know that that's not the way that people like to see Brandon Vasquez, but that's pretty much what the style of striker that he was was like a big target man type. So I think you'll get a lot of that kind of play. And I think that he'll probably be fine when needed. Um, Hopefully he can be a guy that you can bring in late in games too. If you're winning and can help you defend set pieces and things like that. So he's useful. What he brings to the table is useful. And then uh, is Remy Walter for real. So this rumor for this Remy Walter uh, guy who I believe is French popped up this weekend I guess because I haven't really I've kind of been out and about and haven't really honestly seen a lot of this rumor um I personally don't think there's a ton in it there was a the only the main thing that I saw about this rumor was a tweet from like an MLS a French MLS account and that is not like a it's not well it's not a verified account by every by the the you know the official term of verified but it also just didn't really check out to me is something that is um or that is a useful account to look at at all so uh i i say no i i i'm never heard of this guy maybe maybe he comes in who knows but uh i'm i'm not buying into it yet um chris bruton says where's our cm signing um that's a good question i'm actually going to skip that for now because i know other people have asked talked about the central midfielder so um i I, i'm going to consider this more of a rant than a than an actual question and we will address that in a second but let's keep on moving through the questions usmnt fan 3 says will george bellow finally have his breakout season um, I mean, we might have different opinions of what breakout means, but I would categorize it as a yes, for sure. I mean, you can tell that the team 
even though Frank DeBoer said, you know, we can't rely on him, we, we can't bet all of our chips on George, uh, and that he's only going to be playing, you know, we can only count on him really for about 15 or 20 games this season. To me, that's huge. Like, for, for a young player, George Bell is going to be 18 this year to play 20 games. If he plays 20 games in the league this year, that would be enormous. And I think it's a huge opportunity for him to show what he can do at this level. And if he performs well, I think he could go be above and beyond the number of appearances that Frank DeBoer mentioned in that press conference that he had on Monday. But I expect a lot out of George Bellow. I think he's, he's very much a modern fullback in every sense of the word. Um, what I really like about him is that he can come inside. He's actually kind of came up as a central midfielder, which a lot of really top soccer players do, you know, if you're a really great soccer player and you're playing in a 13, 13, 14, 15 year old uh, setup, then you're probably going to be playing as a central midfielder because you're going to see the ball. You're going to get the ball way more often. So it's no use to have a really good player shunted out to left or right back or something like that. But uh, that's what I really love about George is that he kind of came up playing that way. So he's totally fine kind of coming central and it allows the team to morph in a lot of different ways. It also allows Atlanta to be a lot more press resistant because if he can find those a lots of times when you get pressed, uh, there actually are opportunities to dribble inside, but it's not readily apparent to the player that's on the ball. And I think that George already at a very young age kind of has pretty good awareness of where the gaps in the defense are and where he can try to, you know, find the, find those gaps and exploit the team. I, I do think that his athleticism is a little bit, overrated by people i think that it's it's coming along for sure but you know he's 18 years old so he's not going to have the explosive dynamic speed that a player who's just more physically developed would have you know i think george bellow himself will be a faster more physical guy when he's 22 21 you know Uh, he's still developing and i think that he's already i feel like i've seen him grow and and get much faster just grow in terms of his athleticism much much more athletic of a guy than he was when i first started watching him play which was when he was making those uh when he was playing with the atlanta united academy team that made that run and won that national championship so uh, i'm expecting a lot out of george and i think he will have a breakout season this year phil mobley is next up in the queue he says his question is can we expect the team to gel more quickly than last year because it's it is FDB's second year or will greater roster changes mean it will take just as long or longer this is a really interesting question because you know the word gel <clears throat> i feel like the, when you talk about a team gelling you, you you think of um how the the different players on the field can come together and be of the same mindset or or come together and unite. Usually you think about team gelling when a team brings in a lot of pieces from the outside, like Atlanta United is kind of doing this offseason. You know, they're kind of turning the squad over, although we haven't seen the how that will, f- you know, fully manifest itself. And I think that, you know, we used the term last year, I'm sure. But I think that last year you actually had a squad, a group of players that was very familiar with each other. They just weren't familiar with the coach who was giving them a different set of instructions than what they had gotten previously. And that's kind of where the disconnect was, was um, 
could could Frank get his ideas across and have this squad of players that knew each other well be able to implement those instructions? And I think what we saw was that the answer was kind of a no. Uh, in fact, even over the course of the season, I would say it was mainly a no. I think that the team finally started to perform at their optimal level when they finally returned to a way of playing that they all knew and were all successful at. Now, did Frank DeBoer, you know, tweak that that style with the three at the back? Yes, like he certainly had a a, a hand in it. But I think what we really saw was a team that knew how it could play well together, and it just took some time to kind of find that find that fit for them. I think there will be uh, this year some similar issues. I think that, but again, it's like it's the difference bet- between the struggle to understand what the coach is telling you versus. Um, th- what this year will be the players understanding each other because they will have different players playing important positions, especially when you look at anytime you bring in a new central midfielder, especially one that's going to that who should be on the ball a ton like Darlington Nagby was last year. I think that that's going to, you know, there's going to be a learning curve there, but I hope what I, what I would look out for early in the season, what I will be looking out for is to see how well the team just moves together. You know, when you watch, it's very apparent. I'm not sure how apparent it is for a lot of you guys who are sitting way up close or even standing on the field. But when you're in the press box or you get a real wide view of the game, you see the team move together. Like they're all have, you know, like they all have the, the strings connected to each other or whatever. You see them move in this like, amoeba ish way it's like it's a cluster of players that moves and spreads and then contracts when they should and what we saw last year especially when the team wanted to try to get it into into transition was that cluster of players just got spread out too far vertically up the field so from from goal to goal they were spread out too much and then when they got spread out like that when they tried to attack when the ball turned over then they weren't in that nice cluster of player a group of players that could deny the ball from coming into central areas and deny the ball from getting into dangerous areas where the opponent could hurt them so i think what you really want to look out for is to see how well the team's able to kind of maintain that shape both in defense and then also in attack you know there's 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 a shape that you want in both phases of the game and that's going to be what's most important for the team this coming season and hopefully by clearing out some places in the squad and bringing in some new players, you're able to get guys who you think will help be able to facilitate doing that. So I, I, but I do to answer the question, I do think there will be an adjustment period and I do think it'll hurt the team in CONCACAF champions league, especially with how late these signings are coming in. I just, uh, I think the team will still struggle again in, in CONCACAF champions league. All right, next question is from Cheap Whiskey. He says, <clears throat> was Darren Eel's tweet referring to the Castillo signing because it seems more relevant to the Paraguayans? Oh, no, that was that was definitely referring to Castillo. It was an anagram. The anagram, uh, poison, what was it? Poisonous, uh, what was it? Poisonous frogs or something or uh, whatever. Not It wasn't poisonous. It was... Uh, Anyway, it was all an anagram. It spelled out Edgar Castillo. It got us all excited. 
All right. Uh, next question comes from Shiva. Shiva asks, "What we have with what we have right now, roster wise, what would be your starting lineup for our first CCL game?" Ooh, that's an interesting question. Um, I wish I I don't have the the roster in front of me right now, but I think I can do this without it. Um, Alec Cannon goal. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I think so. I I think I would go with. Uh, uh, I wish I had like a, a visual to show you guys um, for podcast uh, audio purposes. Let's call it a four, two, three, one. I'm going to call it a four, two, three, one. It would be left back, George Bello, center back, Fernando Meza, center back, Miles Robinson, right back, Franco Escobar. The two cent- the two in front of the four would be Jeff Lorenowitz and Eric Rometty. The three in front of that would be going from left to right. Ezekiel Barco on the left. Pitti Martinez in the middle. And Julian Gressel on the right. I am going to say Julian Gressel's included in the squad. Who knows if he ends up holding out later. It doesn't sound like he is. I mean, he said he's not um, essentially holding out right now. He's going to continue training, but... I think we have some questions about Julian later. We can talk about him, but we'll we'll consider him part of the squad for this. And then, of course, Joseph Martinez up top and Brad Guzan in goal. That's what I would go with. And I think that by using that formation, you could actually morph it into a back three in game. And that's what this team started to do late last season. And I think so. Basically, the way it morphs is um, essentially with Franco Escobar then playing as a center back. Julian Gressel playing as a right wing back. So it basically turns into a back three right there. And you've got Gressel or uh, Bello on the left, Gressel on the right as your wing backs. You still have Remedian Lorenowitz centrally playing in, in central midfield. And then you've got a basically a front three of Barco, Pitti, and Joseph. When it comes to like the, the attack, I am not concerned about how the orientation of the attackers is, you know, like to me, Barco Pitti and Joseph is just, that is a, just a front three. Obviously Joseph is going to have a role as the guy who's making runs in behind and trying to score uh, goals, obviously get on the end of service and stuff like that. But for the other two, you know, like there's so many nitpickies. Well, is it a one? Is it, is it a two? Is it a one, two? Or is it like with Pitti and Barco wide? Like to me, those guys should have enough freedom where they're moving about and there isn't really a set position for them theoretically. Now they do need to have defensive uh, responsibilities, which is why you would say like, okay, well it's a, it's a, it's a front three with Barco on the left and Pitti on the right. And maybe that's, and that's the case um, with their defensive marks. But like as far as how the attack will work, it's just kind of a front three and they can orient themselves and however way they can create the most goals. Um, let's go ducks says with your short time with the players, does it seem like a different atmosphere than last year? It does. I mean, I would say it feels like, uh, it feels like a new team kind of, it, it feels like they are, first of all, I should say it's still very, very early on in training. Like this first week is just kind of to get guys, get their feet under them again. If you know, after a lot, after an off season, 
kind of get things going. Like for an example, we talked to Lorenowitz and Lorenowitz hasn't even really been training with the team yet. Um, he's still working through, he had a knee surgery just to clean up some stuff on his uh, right knee. I want to say it is. And so he hasn't even really been with the team. So I think some of the guys aren't even, you know, they're not as involved as others, but I would say it's a pretty, it's, it feels fresh. That's, that's the way I would describe it. You know, I think they're, they're obviously familiar with each other, but it just seems like, I don't know. It just seems like guys are feeling refreshed, feeling like there's a clean slate under them again, which they were kind of um, hopeful to have. So I think it's, I think it's a good atmosphere though, for sure. Jordan Myers asks, what do you feel is the biggest need our team has in order to have a successful season? Is it a certain player position, a system, a mentality? Also, how would you classify a successful season in 2020 for Atlanta United? Man, those are some good questions. Um, so the team definitely needs to sign a central midfielder. <laughs> that much should be obvious at this point. Uh, they, It's really... I can't overstate how important it is to bring in a really, really quality player. And it's unfortunate that they don't have a designated player spot to fill that role because they really could use it. You know, when you look at a guy like Darlington Nagby, again, you can't overstate the influence he had on Atlanta United. And there's a reason why he's won championships with multiple teams is because you can't find, it's so hard to find someone if impossible to find someone of, of Nagby's skill in terms of what he gives the team, which is, again, to be... We talked about it earlier, but to be press-resistant, um, to be able to receive the ball under pressure and then relieve the team of that pressure is just... It's such a difficult skill to have as a player. And it's something that every team wants in one of their central midfielders. And I don't think that Atlanta United has that player right now. I think that... Emerson Hyman has some of those things. Um, but I honestly prefer Hyman more as a guy who is going to be making runs into the box. I felt like that was some of his best moments last year was playing as a, in a, in a role where he had like safety behind him. He would, he would be playing in a three, in a three man midfield with Nagby and Lorenowitz behind him. So that gave him the free freedom to do things in the attack. And that's where I think Hyman's best role is. I'm not looking at him to be that kind of quote unquote Nagby replacement that we all talk about. Um, the system, I don't think really matters as much. The, the, if the four in the back, three in the back, I think that that kind of stuff can be overrated. And I think honestly, if you look at formations, the, I mean, the best managers, managers in the world play different formations all the time um, because it's really the best managers in the world are able to communicate their ideas well enough where they can change things up from time to time and their players are able to pick up on it. So um, I wouldn't say that that's a huge concern. Obviously this team, as far as mentality goes, they need to, they need to be scoring goals because when they, when this, this team has a propensity to get frustrated, especially I'm looking, thinking about Joseph when I'm talking about this. And when that frustration sets in, you know, it can be good, it can be motivating, but at times it can start to work against you if you let it. And I think that with this team, that when that frustration starts to mount, it doesn't usually... 
I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm overplaying this, but it doesn't seem to to end well. So I think they can deal with conceding goals and stuff like that. But uh, it, you know, that's not as debilitating to this team as a stagnant attack is. And what would I classify a successful season in 2020 for Atlanta United? Uh, a successful season would be an MLS Cup. And yeah, I mean, that's what it is. This team, this this club has branded itself as winners. And anything short of an MLS Cup is not is not a success. You know, um, I'd be interested to hear everybody's opinions on that too. Uh, so at me on Twitter, I guess, or re- reply to re- reply to Jordan, go, go to this, uh, this tweet thread and reply to Jordan, what you would think a, a successful season would be. But to me, it's nothing less than winning trophies and no bigger trophy than MLS cup. I don't think, you know, as far as CCL aspirations, obviously the team wants to win it, but I don't think it's necessarily an unsuccessful season if they don't, win CCL or they don't reach the semifinal, you know, it's, it's a tough competition and the, these things happen. It'll obviously come down to kind of how they play in it. You know, there's a difference between just getting edged out by club America and, and getting knocked out of CCL versus getting boat raced, you know, so that plays into it, but I'm not expecting much out of CCL. So for me, it's not, that's not as big of a deal. Uh, Stuart Zwald says, when do you think United will get a deal done with Gressel? I have a feeling this will not come till after the CBA. And my reasoning for this is not necessarily what the club has posited. Carlos Bocanegra told us on a phone call in November that the club was, un- you know, the, the, the uncertainties around the CBA, how much money essentially the team will have to spend on players is really what's causing this quote unquote holding pattern is how he described it. I think there's something to that, of course, but I don't think that that's the main reason. I think the real reason that the CBA needs to be um, ratified and you know made known to us what's in it is so that it could present Gressel with better leverage uh, to negotiate something. So right now, Gressel needs to be looked at as um, like Ronald Acuna, essentially. Now, what did the Braves do with Ronald Acuna? He's a very good player, generational player. And so they were like, hey, we can keep you around for pennies pretty much. Like for the next couple of years, all we have to do is give you a a slight raise and you'll just be making a couple hundred thousand dollars or whatever it is. And then we'll go to arbitration. You know, uh, there's some sp- specific baseball stuff. But essentially, the fact is that uh, Ronald Acuna did not have free agency privileges. He was, he was not reaching for agency and neither is Julian Gressel in this current environment. Now, when this, a new CBA comes out, could they have moved the uh, eligibility for who is a free agent? It could. Um, things could, could improve Julian's stance to get a better contract. Cause right now, all Atlanta United has to do to have his rights in MLS is make him a bona fide offer of a 25% raise of whatever he made last year. Which was like one hundred and thirty-three thousand. So, what is Atlanta United going to do? That's exactly what they're going to do. And there's not really a huge incentive for them to make him some long-term offer that's going to cut in on their budget to sign other players. Now, the thing that the Braves have going in their going uh, 
the difference here is that what the Braves ended up doing is they signed Ronald Acuna to like a 10-year deal uh, or what was it, eight years, 10 years, something like that. That did not prevent the Braves from going out and doing anything else. You know, it's not like there was a there's not a baseball salary cap. So the money that they ended up giving Ronald Acuna and his extension did not affect who they could sign, you know, if they could go out and sign a closer or another starting pitcher or something. In where as where when in Gressel's case it does. If the team were to offer him a deal, then that means they have less money to offer other players. So you can see where there's a bit of a dilemma here. And um, I think that's why waiting on this CBA is going to be important. It's not going to necessarily be like, okay, well, what percentage of our total salary budget is he going to get? It's more, I think it's in Gressel's favor to wait until the CBA is done because it might give him a better position. All right. Our next is uh, Sean Banks says, how concerned should we be about depth with all the departures in the offseason, especially if Atlanta United make both make a run in both CCL and US Open Cup? I mean, I think it's uh, it's something to be concerned about. It certainly is. I mean, this team is not even fully filled out in terms of having its best possible starting 11 uh, when you consider that this team desperately needs someone to replace Darlington Nagby. And, uh, you know, Frank DeBoer, this isn't just me saying it. Frank DeBoer was the one who said, you know, our priority right now is a central midfielder. Like, they're definitely looking. And um, I think the team hopes to bring in somebody. But, yeah, I mean, that's it's a big concern. And you want these guys to come in as quick as possible. The later these guys come in, the, the more Atlanta United is disadvantaged. So, it's very important. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they need depth. If you look right now, the squad depth is really thin. It, like a ton of the guys that are well I shouldn't say a ton but like if you if the the squad has I, I haven't looked at it since uh, the Edgar Castillo signing but essentially there are only like 13 or 14 players on the whole roster that have a semblance of MLS experience so or like professional experience so a lot of the other guys that are on the squad right now are the likes of Anyone from John Gallagher, who's not even at the club, to uh, Luis Fernando, to uh, Lagos Kunga, you know, those types of players. Jeff DeHart says, looking at projected rosters of other teams, who should we expect to be our biggest uh, competitive obstacles in returning to championship? Um, So the way I see things, I'll be honest, I haven't really gone over MLS with a fine tooth comb and looked at all the rosters and things like that because first of all like Atlanta United a lot of these teams are not you know they haven't made all their signings they haven't kind of finalized their roster I think the the transfer window ends in April so there I mean there could be plenty of shuffling all the way up until then but I think from a broader perspective what you're really looking at is a league that is stratifying or a league that is kind of the cream is rising from the uh, I I, know, I always screw up this uh, this cliche, but you know what I mean. Like the teams are kind of separating themselves on a not even on like a team by team basis, but like it, there are groupings, there are tiers that are starting to emerge, and I think that Atlanta United is in that top tier, both in MLS and in the Eastern Conference. If you look at the Eastern Conference, I think you're looking at a lot of the same kinds of challengers. You know, you're looking at. NYCFC. I don't think New York Rebels, they might be in for a little bit of more of a rebuild this year, but you never know with them. Um, uh, 
but yeah, I, I think it's the same kind of group. I think Inter Miami is going to be very good. I think that they're kind of they kind of have a natural advantage being new. It's so funny because that is almost always associated with being a disadvantage, being a new team. But in MLS with the strict rules, I think it is actually a benefit to be able to build a team from scratch. And I think that Atlanta United fans should be the ones who are most aware of how much of a benefit that is, considering all the, the success that was had in the first couple of years. So I think they'll be right up there. LAFC will probably... It, it's hard to pick against them. You know, they're amazing. And they're not just amazing because of their talent. They're amazing because they're so well coached. And all of their talent knows exactly what to do when they're on the field. So I think that LAFC... I would put LAFC as the team to beat uh, in 2020 in MLS. Niall Faruqi says, Do you think Atlanta United is going to make or announce any signings this week? Uh, almost assuredly, yes. I, I would I would put that as a at a very, very high percentage, even if it is just Adam John, which is kind of a cop-out answer. But uh, yeah, will the, now will the central midfielder be announced this week? You know, it, that, that, that level of a signing, who knows? Probably, I, I would probably say no, but who knows? These things can happen quickly. Once we start getting rumors in, things can really heat up quickly. Will Villasanti happen? Asks Corey Johnson. He's an interesting one. Like, you know, these Paraguayan guys are, they've been rumored to happen and then they were rumored to not happen and then one was happening and then neither were happening. Uh, I think I'm still pretty, I'm, I'm feeling good on Villasanti. I think that he is the player that Atlanta United needs. I think that whatever central midfielder they get, I would I would want one that is more proficient defensively than looking at a guy who can help contribute to the attack. I think you want someone who is ball security first, which Villasanti is. Villasanti to me is more of a defensive midfielder than an offensive midfielder. Um if if you were to categorize him as one. So I think that uh I think he's the profile that this team needs and I think that that is uh that is the player that they'll that that is I think that's the central midfield they'll end up getting. There are probably more. There are probably more out there, but that's just my gut feeling. And I'm taking a final look, and uh, yeah, that's going to be it. That's all the questions. So, um, this was fun. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope I didn't ramble too much. I know I did a little bit, but uh. Let me know what you guys think of this upcoming season on uh, Dirty South Soccer in our comments. We've had a ton of great stories posted last week. Again, I'll re- reiterate, it's been really fun to kind of get that that energy back into the into the site. And I know that you guys have been bringing it as well. So um, looking forward to more of that this week. You know, the team is going to be in Bradenton, Florida, getting ready for the season. They play their first friendly on Friday. So less than a week now. Um, it'll be closed doors. I don't know how much we'll actually hear of it. Hopefully, I'm sure the club will put out a little bit of footage, I would think, like just of the, you know, just of the, the techers or whatever. Hopefully, we hear about it. Um, but yeah, that, the, the first Friday's fr- uh, friendly is Friday, and then I think they'll come kind of thick and fast after that. So um, looking forward to all that. We will obviously have all the coverage of Dirty South Soccer. And uh, thank you for downloading uh, Five Stripe Final and giving us a listen. So uh, until next time, we will see you guys later.